There he is. <laughs> Hi, John. Did you did you figure out my signals? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, I did. Yes, I'm so sorry. See, I <clears throat> at some point I was playing the guitar in my studio room, and I hit a cup of coffee with the headstock of my guitar because I was I was I was playing a really aggressive part, <laughs> and some of the coffee sloshed on my keyboard my computer keyboard which it's a wireless keyboard Mm -hmm. and it caused it to initially only be able to type numeric uh like characters like the (laughs) dollar sign and the paren and and like all the all the non-letters yeah like uh (laughs) Like like yen, I could express a lot of yen because I had the symbol for yen. Um, and then it just stopped altogether. Ah. And so I sit at the computer, and you are you are Skype messaging me saying, <laughs> "Here we ready go. go, ready, ready to go, big guy." And I'm like yelling at the computer, oh, "I'm here, I'm here!" And then I realized I could text you but then you probably had your phone off oh i'm i'm for, oh god where to begin i'm so sorry yeah I'm, I, I keep my sure i, I keep my do. phone away you know yeah i don't think they do that anymore oh. but but no but just you know the whole idea of distraction i'll let you 100 to john you know right. Right. but then i went right. and looked and the entire lock screen was filled with green uh <laughs> with apple messages from you that were Good. Yeah, yeah. Pl- in, our plain, plain in, in our special, special code. In our special code. Well, I don't. You know, I don't. See, this get... is why I feel like computers are yeah. are still made of bicycle, bicycle. parts yeah. and, <laughs> and vellum and you know and bailing wire. Yeah, but I mean, you're you're out there. You're out there deep in Dayton, Ohio, pushing a keyboard around. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. getting in the air. Yeah, the and this is the problem. If a guy can't get a little bit aggressive with his Kramer. For this Floyd Rose equipped Kramer guitar mm-hmm. and slosh a little coffee on his keyboard and have it keep working. Yeah. What what if I was down what if I was what if I was two hundred feet under the ground in a missile silo and I had a I had my hand on a key. Oh, I don't even want to think. And you had your hand on a key. Yes. And I'm like Turn your yen key, sir. Turn your key. Turn your key, sir. And my keyboard. I spilled a little coffee on it. I um one question. Um were you seated when you were jamming? No, no, I was standing up, but I, but I'm telling you, this was a very aggressive guitar part. I've seen videos of you. Of course, I've seen your your live programs as well. But when you, when you get going, your glasses fall off and you start rolling around. Yeah, people think that that's all part of the stage act. It's not a bit. But when I get when I get really cranking on a part, mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen? Co- uh, some coffee's going to get spilled. I'll tell you that. This is why you don't keep coffee on stage at shows. I, it's not. It's it's exactly why, and it's why I had to quit smoking. That's why. First of all, I had to quit smoking on stage. Well, did you burn yourself? Did I ever tell you that story? I was I was uh, I was at a I was I was playing a rock show. It was at the old Crocodile Cafe here in Seattle. It was back when you could still smoke in bars. And uh, in between songs, I lit up a cigarette on stage. And my because I because one time many years before I had seen the band Unwound play, mm-hmm. and the lead the lead guy in Unwound. He came out on stage before they ever played a note. He lit a cigarette, and he just stood there and smoked the entire thing, just staring at the audience. Oh, that's good. And 
you know, and nobody in the, it was a sold out show and nobody in the crowd knew what to do. And he wasn't like, he wasn't on drugs. He was staring at us. It was, it was the most, it was the most confrontational, aggressive, badass rock thing I had ever seen. He just stood there. He smoked the entire cigarette at his leisure while we sat in the crowd dumbfounded. So I knew well, I was well, naturally never... you're going to pick that up. It's, it's like a kind of a smoky overture. You're setting the tone for, for the whole show. Yeah. But I, but I could not, I mean, that was, that was, that was a badass move, but it was also a very art school move. Yeah. And I could never, I could never walk out on stage and put that kind of art school cape on. If I'm going to come out in a cape, <laughs> it's going to be from Walgreens. It's going to be a Walgreens cape. It's not going to be some art school, like stare the audience down cape. But right. I did, but I did realize that smoking a cigarette on stage was something I could get away with as the star of the show. And I, anyway, I lit a cigarette on stage and my mom was in the audience and she said, the power of suggestion is so, uh, is so profound when a person is standing on stage that you lit that cigarette and 50 people in the audience lit like fumbled for their pack and got a cigarette and the the entire crowd lit up and then the room was unbearable. Nobody could stand to be in there because everybody was smoking. I was like, Oh, okay. Right. No more, no more on stage smoking. Right. So you've always on some level been aware of your power. But but in a moment like that, it, it becomes really clear what you're wielding up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see it in the Which solos. Is why, you know. That's why I stopped. That's why I stopped uh, snorting heroin when yeah. I was. Yeah, you'll do anything for your art, won't you? Well, I like the crowd to be comfortable too. As you I, know. I have a, I have a, a couple of friends who are a couple, and uh, <coughs> when they first saw the uh, the Face Off film, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty good that John Woo movie, um, they agreed by uh, you know. I don't know if it's unanimous, unanimous uh, consent that they needed to develop some kind of a code. So if something happened and one of their one of the two in the couple like ended up getting face switched, right. they would have a way to let the person know. They'd have some kind of a facial safe code to let the other person know whether it was really them or not. What was their code? I, they won't tell. Which I think oh, is smart. They, of course they won't. No, I mean now if you read comics, you know this kind of thing. What they call uh, mind swapping comes up all the time. I guess what I'm saying to you is. Um, you play guitar a lot. You enjoy coffee. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to work something out where we could have some kind of, uh, I don't want to be ping pong, some kind of smoke signals, maybe mm-hmm. involving the high ASCII keys that would, that would allow us maybe a rebus. <laughs> maybe we could work out uh-huh. some kind of a rebus. Well, Just, I was sitting, I was ringing, I was ringing all the bells that I had Oh gosh. and I realized that you can't hear the, you cannot hear the bells unless the computer is engaged. No, not Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can. I hear them fine. But, uh, and then, then that was that. Then I'm back to the Wright brothers. Then it's like there is no way. Once if he's not answering his cell phone texts, me going and getting an iPad is not going to help. There's not a third way. I hate that feeling. And it's like when you lock your keys in your car, and yeah. you just you 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 first of all you just fall apart because you realize what a dumbass you are. But then if you're like me, you just start reeling through all these different possibilities. It's like any you don't panic like I panic, but I'm a panicker. Yeah. And when I panic, I get real stupid. And uh, I become very, what, fabulous. I become like a South, Am- South American writer. I start coming up with all kinds of crazy shit for what uh, I could do to get out of the situation. Maybe a Civil War ghost is going to steal your car and you won't be able to stop him. You know what? That could be plan C. Uh, you know, what we should do is get satellite phones. 
I was going to – yes. I was going to – again, with the, with the comics, I was going to go more for a Batman red phone situation. Yeah. A satellite phone could be nice because just in case – just in case, As, or, or or like a landline, <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should lay our our own cable. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I should pick that. <laughs> I. <laughs> I think I just did a Stuart, I think I just did a Stuart Copeland on you. Uh, yes, I, I agree. Love your hat work. Uh, yeah. Um, every little thing she does is magic. I, uh, you know, the phones are a funny thing. My my in laws still just cannot believe that all we have are our mobile phones. They think it's so. And you know, they're not that much older than us, but right. it just seems crazy. Like you know, what's the first thing you do? You get you get your house, and the first thing you do, you, you turn on the electric, and you get a phone. Like, how could you not have a landline phone in your house? And, Wait a and it, the first thing you do is go masturbate in every room. <laughs> you got to get the spooks did, out. <laughs> did I not? Did I read a different homeowner's manual than everybody okay, else? Okay, I'm throwing all the cards out. <laughs> I know. Okay, now just to review, when you first are considering, just even considering buying a home, you go into every corner and you listen. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, are there any spooks in here? You lay down on the floor, close your eyes, and you say, are there any spooks in here? Okay, we've uh, f- uh, fast forward, past the closing, everything's set, you've, you've escrowed, right. or whatever that means, and right. now it's all yours. Do you have a sense in your mind of the kinds of the steps you walk through to, to lay your imprimatur on that floor? Masturbating hmm. seems like a great start. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got you've to walk around the house. I think, I think in my case, you have to walk around the house and visibly scoff at... Every improvement that a previous homeowner made. So, like, I walk around like and I deriding put deriding the quality and the taste of the decision. Yeah, I, just, I just put like a little, I just put a little thumbprint of scorn <laughs> on every other carpenter's work. Nice recessed lighting. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you walk through the inner city and somebody's tagged, and then somebody else has crossed out the tag and tagged their tag on it, and then yeah, or just written, or, or just has written is gay after that. Is gay, right? <laughs> right. I, I walk around and I just look at all the I look at all the hack carpentry because every house that's a hundred years old has at, at, at in twenty year increments, like the rings of a tree, has hack carpentry <laughs> hack carpentry throughout the ages. So you can you can look at the at the nails and kind of gauge like what era those nails are from, right? And be like, oh, this is some seventies hack carpentry, and it's over the top of some fifties hack carpentry. So I walked, I certainly walked around my house, and I was like, that is some part. The, of the, the home court. that you're in now, yeah. There's some nice finishing. I don't want to you know triangulate too much here, but you'll remember I was literally taken aback by your kitchen. Yeah, yeah, there have been there have been improvements made, mm-hmm. but, but 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 you make decisions. You got a budget. Yeah. You got time. You go in and you maybe fix some things and, and not other things. Other things I, so much. I walked around the house and I just I just I gave the scornful eye to all the new stuff, so that the new stuff. This is my feeling. So that the canned lighting and the the marble countertops don't get too ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't have too much pride. They sit back and they realize that they are new, and I see them. And then they become part of the house, and they're not—they're not sticking out all the time. Like, look at me! I'm the—I'm the, I'm the uh, pressure-sensitive light switch, or whatever. It's like you are—you are nothing to me. Yeah, pressure-sensitive light switch. So your the thing is also you're my pressure-sensitive. You're light mine, switch. and here's what I want. You from You serve at my pleasure. I, I want from you that you work like a light switch. Oh, you're talking about like I, the, the theater lighting thing where it comes up and down kind of gently? Yeah, they, I got, they, Mike, John, I got mixed feelings about that. They installed this stuff in my house, and every time I walk in, I hit the light switch, and then 
it makes a decision. <laughs> and and I'm standing there in the doorway, my arms laden with groceries or I, or I'm carrying a girl across the threshold or something. My hands are full. And I hit that light switch and then it thinks about what it's going to do. Yeah, for a second, it seems like maybe it's the, maybe the opening of West Side Story and maybe the lights are just slowly coming up. Yeah, yeah. And then or sometimes they go up a little. Oh, John. And you know, there's like, a reason they call oh, it a light switch. I mean, oh, there's a reason the light switch... We're spelunking now. It's, it's, there's a reason that that is the analogy for on and off. It should give it a flick. It should be audible. Boom. And then the room should be flooded with light. Lights on. Well, we have one of those in our uh, dining area. We call it the Nook. And uh, I think, yeah, you've, you've, you're more familiar with the old place, which is yeah. almost exactly like the new place. But <laughs> in the new place, um, somebody installed, I don't know what you call it. I, I, it's like theater lighting, right? Where it, it can gently, you turn it on, it gently brings the lights up, gently yeah. brings the lights down. Somebody installed that in our place, but they didn't finish it. So it's kind of hanging out of the wall a little bit. And you got you to mash on it real hard to get it to go. It, it really, it defeats the entire purpose of having lights in your home. Because it's more like an exercise. It's more like a children's exercise in how to make light happen than yeah. in adults trying to flood a room with light. Well, here's another thing. Maybe I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to presume how much you know about electricity. A lot. <laughs> but if you install 10 canned light fixtures in a room through one light switch and you put a 60-watt bulb in every one of those... That is 600 watts. Yeah. It is additive. And if your light switch is rated for 300 watts, Mm. here's what's going to happen. Your light switch is going to get very hot (laughs) as the power pours through the tiny little, as the electrons pour through the tiny little hole. Little aperture. The little cable hole. The hole that is a cable. You obviously know a lot about electricity. <laughs> Cables are holes which electricity pour through that are own that are that are they're basically holes of plastic that are full of copper. Electric hole. Okay. It's a it's it works it works like a tunnel. But <laughs> it is a tube that electric that electric It's not a truck that you put it's a it's a tube. <laughs> it's a long copper tube right. that is full of copper, which is full of electrons. <laughs> And it gets very hot. And you're saying these 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 uh, brainiacs who who put all this uh, we we used to call it recessed lighting. You're saying can lighting. It's when you got the holes in the ceiling and you get those kind of fruity. No offense, kind of fruity. Uh, the lights that are in, kind of in the ceiling in a right. in a can. Right, 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 right. I don't I don't care for those. They used the wrong switches. They oh, used the, they used switches that were not rated for this behavior. And so when you t- if a, if the lights are powered all the way up, then you go over and you put your hand on it. You will feel. You will feel the, the, one of the most uncomfortable feelings you can have as a homeowner, which is a hot plastic light switch. There's like two places in, maybe three places in your home that you should feel warmth. There should, it could be water coming out of a rated spigot. It right. could be out of some heat radiating device. But generally, as you know, I am not an electrical engineer, but it's my understanding that electrical things should not be hot. No, you don't want your electrical things hot. And you don't want ants in your upstairs bathroom. Oh, God. Are they still there? No, 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 no. Come on. It's been months. So they went away in they were, the winter. They were in your sink? Is that where they were? So they figured out another way. Because I, 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 the, I had their routes all mapped out. And I had little punji traps <laughs> all around the sink. 
<laughs> so that the ants would walk across. So you put like, you put a little bit of poison on a stick. No, yeah. Well, they would walk across what seemed like a, a a floor covered with leaves, and then they would fall into a pit and be impaled on a shit covered stick. Yeah, you put poop on the sticks, a right? Shit covered bamboo stick, and then they would die of infection. So they couldn't go near the sink. But then, in their in their like in their power, their ant power, which I do not understand. I cannot, for the life of me, understand. It's one of those pow- It's one of those animal powers. Like they say, a dog can smell you six miles away and it's like how no a dog how does a dog do it right these ants can find a way they send out so many scouts a million scouts and they found a new way in which is that a little piece of cock had drooped droopy cock Uh, and and you know you i mean you wouldn't have thought of that who thinks about droopy cock and the only way you could see the droopy cock is lay down on the floor of the bathroom and put your head under the toilet where the pee splashes and look <laughs> under the trim. And there you will see that whoever was caulking it, like they just kind of, it's not that they missed a spot. It's mm-hmm. just that uh, the, the, the cock drooped a little bit. And now it, it is the I-5 of ants. Hmm. And they're pouring into the bathroom, and I'm like, "What do you want in here? There's well, nothing in here." Can you patch that? Can you recalk that? Yeah, you can. But I yeah, there's but, pee down there. You don't want to go down there. Well, it's not that. It's that. It's that. You know that I. I suffer, Merlin, because I want the ants to learn. I want to. I I feel like, I don't want to fix the problem. You want to the, teach. You want to teach. You want to teach the ants. That's right. I don't want to fix the problem at the caulk level. I want to fix the problem at the attitude level. <laughs> I want to. I want to go back up the chain. I want the head ant. Right. I, I think I understand. This is a big yeah. pattern for you. Yes. B. Yeah. You would like to see a consequent change in behavior, but A. You want to make sure that they get their mind right. That's right. I is that right? I, Isn't that kind of the more important thing you to, to teach an ant to fish? I imagine the queen ant, and I imagine some lieutenant colonel ant comes up and says. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're missing some scouts and the queen says, send more scouts. And then the Lieutenant Colonel comes back and he's like, sector B, we are, we're not getting any readings from sector B. Nobody's coming back. Nobody's making it back from sector B. And she's like, redouble our efforts in sector B. And we go back and forth. Until the lieutenant colonel, bruised and battered, stands before her and says, we are hemorrhaging ants in Sector B. We cannot keep up this pace. It's an unwinnable war. Like, I want their hearts and minds. I want her... Right. I want you her you to want to have... win this, this trench war, this war of attrition. You want to wear them down. Yeah. To where, want... to where they're, they're short of resources and they have to listen to you. I want her to feel... I want her to feel me... There, next to her, in her nest, whispering in her ear. You should go and sit I, next to her. I can't do it. I can't follow because she's a very tiny, tiny little creature. I cannot get into her nest with her, but I want her to feel me there. Mm. I want her to make decisions based on the, my whispering in her ear. Send all the ants you want. You're just staring at her, smoking a cigarette. But I have this amazing thing, which is called a dustbuster. <laughs> And my dustbuster is calibrated for ant bodies. 
and I will sit and I will dust bust ants. I will spend I will spend fifteen days not leaving my bathroom. There's a sink in there. <laughs> I can get water, <laughs> and I will just dust bust every ant that comes out of that little piece of droopy cock. Mm. She she feels me. She knows I'm there. I. Mm. I've read a third of a book about this, and I've heard four podcasts about it. And I will just tell you that the 15-second version of it is that ants – and this is actually something I heard last week. Ants succeed because they're stupid and because there's lots of them. And when they make a mistake, things get better. So basically they walk around, and as E.O. Wilson has shown, they have a little uh, finger-shaped gland that makes their little ant smell. And, uh, and so basically what they do is they run around, and they do these little paths. And when they pick up a more powerful path, they walk down that path. So it's all completely – they, what do they call it? Emergence. It's all completely accidental, but it's also completely chaotic. And I'm just, you know, as you they, know, they, I'm, not an, I'm not an entomologist, but I think it's hard to teach an ant. I think they're already, they're, they're pretty stupid. And they what don't you're have saying the is two roads diverge mm-hmm. in a yellow wood. Mm-hmm. And sorry, they could not travel both, but be one ant alone. They stood there and looked down one as far as they could to where it bent into the undergrowth. Mm-hmm. And then they take the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was not grassy and did not want wear. Although as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. Wow. Now was that, uh, was that Carl Sandberg or Ron Palilla? Who was that? <laughs> that wasn't E.O. Wilson. Am I thinking of E.B. White? No, that was Robert Frost. That's what I was going to guess Frost. Yeah. Jeez, Louise, I, you know, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to think about, I don't want to be bothered by ants. I don't want to be bothered by insects, but like so many things in life, it's just, I notice them. You and live then, in San Francisco. There are so many bigger ants to bother you. Yeah. I can overlook a lot of them. I can overlook a lot of them, but you know, it, it is, it is frustrating. And you know, really in Florida, it was, it was the roaches. I mean, as long as we're just talking about insects and I think uh-huh. we can very easily extend this to people. A droopy cough, notwithstanding. Well, the roaches, you know, they say for every one you see, there's like, you know, 7,000 others or whatever. I'm not, uh. I'm not an expert. But no, no, you see one. I'll, I'll never forget my first roach. It, it is it is so emblazoned on my mind. I had a little... Did it touch you? No, I wish. Hmm. You wish? Well, I was 14. I could have used the love. But I was, I was laying in bed watching Fridays, as you do. Yeah. And uh, my, the room was dark. I'm watching my little portable black and white TV. And uh, I, I see... A, a little movement and there shouldn't be a little movement in your room at 12 o'clock on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was a roach in my room. And you know, you've been to Florida. We're not, ta- we're not talking about those ones that are, you know, the size of a pencil eraser. No, talking, it's like a small cat Ugh. and it's scurry. And, and it's an insects that make noise. They're, they're like f- a pack of gum. They're yes. like, the, they're literally the size of a pack of gum. Yes. They're like, like tan gum and they make an audible noise when they move. Uh, and I ran out of my room of all the creatures I've had in my room. That was one of the worst. Had, had a corn snake in my room one time. I dealt with that. Whoa. But the, uh, but the, 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 the roaches are the worst because you don't know where they're coming from. A corn snake, you find it, you take it out like a gentleman, but sure. the, the roaches and you know, all like so many of our troublesome animals, if their head can fit through it, the rest of them can. I was sleeping in a hotel in the middle of the Czech Republic one night, a motel. Let's just, let's call it spade a spade. It was a motel. (laughs) And I turned off the lights and I heard that sound. And I was like, I'm too tired and I know roaches can't hurt me. I'm too tired to deal with this. And I just screw it. 
and then one fell from the ceiling on me in the dark while I was sleeping. And I, I leapt six feet in the air and turned the light on as I was flying. And the room was covered with these things that were like, that were the size of packs of gum and black and, and so I was the whole rest of the night, I was killing roaches. And I didn't do anything. I didn't stop the plague. No. I just made a mess. I had one in my ear once. Oh! Yeah, I mean, not all the way in, but he was curious. He was ear this, curious. This conversation is really going sideways. Yeah, one time. One time in... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, okay. One... Let's see here. Hang on. <laughs> oh. Oh, hello. What about that? Um... All right. Whoa! That's Satori. <laughs> Make it Centauri times. Uh, we were playing Stargate. Actually, waiting to play Stargate. The uh, the the much uh, improved, you know, son of Defender, uh, as you know. And and we're we're playing Stargate. And this guy was he's really good at Stargate. He he was real gross and real stinky. And I won't even tell you his name, but but his name was pretty much stinky. That was kind of his last name. <laughs> uh, stinky, right? Yeah, yeah. Booger. Was, uh, his name was Booger. It's not Boogie, but he. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was he was he was scooting along and killing mutants and jumping into the Stargate, and he started kind of shaking his his right foot, and a, a roach crawled out of his shoe. Oh, welcome welcome to Florida, Stinky. <laughs> You're <laughs> saying that the roach got the roach came there with Stinky? Yeah, I don't I, I don't think he was doing second player. He was he was he was riding with Stinky. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Lil Wayne? <laughs> uh, my my this one tuck story. I was walking down the street. People wa- missed this, John. They really, really <laughs> missed it. I was walking down the street in Washington D.C. in the middle of the night one time, and you know, on the East Coast, uh, uh, townhouses, brownstones have stoops. Yeah. They have they have steps that come down, and those steps have beautiful sort of um, cast iron. The lintels at the bottom of the stairs, right? They, they have two big posts made of iron with, with giant uh, iron balls on the top at the bottom of the stairs. You picturing this? Yeah, I am. I was walking down a sidewalk in a fairly nice neighborhood, and one of these brownstones had the top of their, of one of those um, posts had been sheared off somehow, and it was hollow as they are, and out of it was pouring like water flowing out of the top of this thing and down the sides and into the street, roaches. Oh, come on. Waves and waves, just a constant, like, like thousands of roaches pouring out of this post down the sides, all four sides, and into the sidewalk and into the street, and people were standing there at a at a healthy distance from this thing and marveling at it as if a fire hydrant was open and water was spilling into the street but it was it was a billion roaches what do you think brought them out coming from where coming from their undersea lair and what was bringing them out was black magic mm. it was the ugliest most awful thing i had ever seen it 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 inspired me to think of new tortures that were 
that were as bad as being buried alive. Like, for instance, being stuffed down that hole. Oh, God. You know, or being buried alive in a place where there were that many roaches. I mean, there, you know, as a, as a man, I am, I'm contractually obligated at least once a month to think of some ter- terrible scenario where I die or am trapped or buried alive with a billion roaches. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty normal. Being... A hopeless situation that you've, yeah. that you've been put into by an enemy, for example. Yeah, and this did not, I did not have an awareness that such a terrible thing could exist until I saw this. And then, then I realized that even my worst fantasy was not not as bad as the world could could drum up. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like. I don't like swarming. And here's here, the funny part of it is, if I if I were to place myself on a continuum, I think I'm. You know, compared to a lot of people, again, having lived in Florida, you know, have, having seen a roach come out of a Stargate player's shoe, nice. um, I, I feel like on the American continuum, excluding maybe Mississippi, God bless them. I, I think I'm on the. I'm on a I'm on the pretty left side of the curve. Sure, you've been I think in the shit. I've been in the shit. I got the thousand yard roach stare. I yeah. think there are people who are way way more freaked out by, than 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 I am about roaches. But again, like the Stargate player, there are people who are not quite freaked out enough. But I guess that's just that's a condition of life. Now you know, like with rats, I don't like rats. I what don't about like rats. pet rats? What about goth girl with white pet rat? <sighs> Ugh. What yeah. about pet rat on a on a little like with a cat collar on? They're like anchovies, you know. Where if I know it's coming, so to speak, like I'm okay. We just had to get rid of the the, the third rat at my kid's school. Mm. <clears throat> the third rat. Yeah, it's a, that's a terrific movie. <laughs> Wasn't that, that a Orson John McCary novel? I think you think of that Orson Welles movie. <laughs> Speaking um, of which, have you seen this television show, The Americans? I have. I, yeah. I I actually purchased it on we, uh, on, my, we on my TV. We don't normally sit and talk about pop media. I was curious what you thought about it, actually. Well, you know, as a as a internationally famous uh, fact checker, my initial response to it was that I was pointing out all the light fixtures that were wrong and all the people that were wearing not uh, era appropriate glasses frames. I wish I wasn't that guy. <laughs> we watched then, we watched we watched Indiana Jones last night and and the part where the guys from the army come and talk to him at the at the school all I could do is stare at this one guy's suit from fucking 1980. He was so yeah. obviously wearing a 1980 suit. Yeah. Yeah. And this uh, the, I, the the thing about this show is, is it 19 1984 85? 81. 81. Oh, it's 81, so it's, right. Yeah, okay, so it's yeah, yeah. Very right. clearly like that transition. Oh, that's right. Reagan Reagan has like just Reagan's come brand in. New. Tell yeah. tell people cuz I I I don't want to no spoilers, but I, I think it's conceptually setting aside the girl from Felicity who I would eat off a cracker. Like I, I think it's conceptually well, she's more. She's yeah. so my type. Yes, she um, is. Yeah. We talked about her. She's got no hips. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't know who we were talking about before. Cause you mentioned her and I was like, Oh sure. But I had no idea. I, who bet, you, I bet you saw her and said, that's, that's my I did. Type. I see. Yeah. I see her and I'm like, Oh, there it is. Yeah. That's one of those Merlin girls. She's got those big eyes. Yeah. yeah. But, but so the premise of the show is mm-hmm. that the, that there are sleeper agents from the Soviet Union living in America as Americans. They basically, for all practical purposes, in the Soviet Union, they were like raised as Americans. Yeah, they're like KGB agents. <clears throat> not raised. allowed. Not allowed to speak Russian. Right. But they're de- but they're devoted to the cause. And I think one of the interesting things about the show is that it reminds me of a time when Soviet-style communism still seemed. It is plausible to me in 1981 that people in America were still harboring 
sympathy with the Soviet Union. I, rem- I remember a time when, you know, when it was plausible that there were people around who were still fellow travelers. Oh, but, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But so, so the, you know, there are some implausibilities about the show, but you know how much I love a spy show. Oh, it's, it's, and it's very, it's got all those elements. I, I, yes, you absolutely do. I do as well. I want to come back to this involving Jason Bourne in a minute, but yes. And, and it's got all the elements. It should be a little better than it is, but it's really good because it's got layers. I think it's written well. I think it's acted well. There are just a few moments where I'm like, those glasses are not from. So that's really you're, you're not just you're not just kidding. That's that's a big hang up for you. Those glasses are wrong. Yeah. And the thing is that what I can tell is there are four people working the set design of this show, and three of <laughs> three them of them are good. <laughs> are dynamite. You know, there's like. I'm looking around and I'm like, holy shit, they got the socks, got, those pull up socks with the they stripes. Got the socks, they got that whole thing. Remember in 1981 when everybody had a weird brown and, and mauve quilt hanging on the wall behind their brass bed? Oh, yeah, yeah. And like Country Kitchen with two Ks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like a macrame plant ha- holder that had some ferns in it and an owl. And, you know, like, 1981, very distinctive look, and they, they get the cars right. I'm always looking in the background of shows like that to see the one car that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And they all, all the cars are right. I bet that's a lot of work. The clothes are right. It is a lot of work. There's just there are a couple of things. The lead actress has the wrong hair. Yeah. There's no way somebody in 1981 had hair that, that looked that cool. She's, but, but saying that, the person that's dressing her is putting her in 80s jeans but making them look contemporary like somebody is tailoring the clothes so that it so that they so that they are technically right right but look good <clears throat> i bet that's a balance to strike where you don't want it to be like distracting yeah right you don't where, want to be a little too gloria vanderbilt exactly do you remember do you remember how bad high-waisted jeans looked on women i do and we suffered through them for a decade. I was very focused um, just about two or three inches down from that, but I do remember, <laughs> and I think they, they really nailed that in this. High-waisted jeans with a little tiny, like, alligator skin belt. Oh, and, man. I, I like the ones where it was like a double belt. It would go around, you get like a double belt. Do you remember that? Double belt. Boy, so anyway, I, they get oof. a lot of that stuff right, and then every once in a while, somebody comes on screen, and it's like, was the good person off today? And somebody just loaned you their glasses, like right. this is. And maybe, maybe I'm a weirdo. Maybe glasses don't matter to other people. But come on, I, <clears throat> I'm with you though. I, I watch for those things too. You know what I always notice is the, and you know there are people who have gone crazy with this. And I guess that 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 show with the winter and the elves or whatever. There's like where you can go through and, and look at the Elf. vernacular. Elf winter. Elf winter. That show on HBO with uh, the 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 Peter Dinkle guy. And, and oh, I, you know I've met him. No, really? Dinklage? He, he seems super smart. So he comes on he comes on the show that Hodgman and Dick Cavett and I were doing. He's one of our guests. Oh, come on. Yeah. And he seems hilarious. like a very very smart guy. He's a he is he's exceptionally smart and also I'm not just saying that cuz he's small, you understand? Yeah. He's, he's very he's, he's very he's very clean. He's he's a clean man. Yes. He keeps himself very clean. <laughs> but he's uh and he's very articulate. He's very articulate. He's, very articulate. <laughs> <laughs> he's also like he's really a mensch. And, uh, and you know, I think he's, uh, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because everybody wants to compliment him on being articulate and clean <laughs> because he is a little, he's small. He's a little you've, different. You've done real well, Peter. But, you know, like, but, but, uh, yeah, right. I, I, it, 
I challenge anyone to try and pat him on the head. I think he would break your hand in a seven places. But uh, but no, he's a wonder. He's a wonderful guy. I had a blast with him. He's hilarious. I'd like to hear more about that. It looked like uh, Dick Cavett had some kind of. Uh... I don't know. Was that was a, a a rapier or a, a cutlass? He had some not cutlass. He had some kind of. Uh, you, so you you was it, Mister Hodgman? Somebody posted a photo of, of you yeah. guys hanging out, and Dick Cavett had some kind of a sword. Yeah. Well, one of our guests was a a, a um like a quintathlete from the Canadian Olympic team. Oh, that lady! Right, right, right. Yeah, and she brought her fencing sabers. Oh, it's so and, hot. And she she and I actually fenced on the balcony of the Chateau Marmont. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she, like, Again. All, like all great athletes, she had economy of motion. Mm. So I'm slashing away at the air and I'm saying, come at me, you know, to the death. And she's just like, she was just carving her initials in my shirt. And then, uh, then, you know, she made the fatal error of thinking that the duel was over and, <laughs> and, uh, and looked, looked, looked away. At which point I dealt the fatal blow, like like an hour later, <laughs> and uh, and I got booed. I got booed by everybody uh-huh. because supposedly uh, she wasn't looking. Yeah, but. this isn't the Olympics. This isn't those those cockamamie Olympic rules. Yeah, that's right. This, this is, is a, this is the real world, dude. But then then Cavett got a hold of my saber at some point, and then he's you know. I don't know Dick Cavett, but I would not give that man a sword. No, I learned. I learned yeah. the hard way. Yeah, you know, one time he and Groucho were talking about swords. Uh... He's got a Groucho story for every single... I mean, he has an anecdote about Groucho Marx that fits any occasion. He is, he is the Chuck Klosterman and the Thurston Moore of Groucho Marx anecdotes. <laughs> Did you know, actually, you cannot... This is true. turns out, legally, you cannot have a rock and roll documentary unless it's got Chuck Klosterman and Thurston Moore and that guy who uh, looks like Joey Ramone from uh, Rolling Stone. David Fricke? Oh, yeah, that guy. I can't stand to hear him yeah. talk. I'd like to hire Chuck Klosterman to never stop punching him. Well, you know... Uh, I hate the, his teeth, his giant yeah, teeth. The corollary is the is the punk rock documentary that has to have both Flea and Dave Grohl. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Flea has something to say about every single punk rock band. Also, also Lars Ulrich makes a lot of appearances in, in rockumentaries. Oh, my God, I heard the greatest story. Please. So a friend of mine mm-hmm. is in a rock band... With the with the famous '80s rocker, who's going to remain nameless, hmm. just so that just so that our our fact checker uh, uh, listeners are going to have to do they're going to have to do at least the legwork of remembering the twenty times we've talked about this person in the past. You'll tell me later. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So a yeah. friend of mine plays financial in a band financial investment guy with a famous <laughs> with a very 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 famous '80s rocker, and they are who on now t- has all of his organs intact. Hey, he is still alive. <laughs> And we are on, or they, I'm sorry, they are on tour. They were on tour in uh, Asia recently on one of these big package tours where it's Slayer and it's, uh, you know, it's whatever. Dimebag Daryl is dead, but the rest of the guys from from the Dimebag <laughs> Daryl explosion and uh, all those all those bands, Anthrax, they're all there. And the headliner is Metallica. And so this buddy of mine and some other dudes from like up and coming metal bands that I could not name are standing around backstage at the barbecue pit at one of these big, massive metal shows in Japan. And James Hetfield walks up. No way. He's like, what's up guys? Oh my God. That's so cool. And so these, you know, these three guys are like, Oh, Oh, Hey, 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 James Hetfield. 
what's up, bro? And they're all standing around. They all have like leather wristbands that are six inches wide and and uh, they all have long goatees. And so they're standing around like, oh, oh what's um, how's it going? You know, rock and roll. Woo! And James Hetfield's talking to him and and somebody, you know, kind of takes the initiative. One of these guys kind of gets a little bold. And there's, he al- says, there's always one. There's always one. And he's like, you know, you know what I like about you guys, James Hetfield, is like you you made it through the nineties without like, you know, doing anything embarrassing <laughs> musically. And James Hetfield's like, Thanks, man, you know, appreciate it. And the guy's the guy keeps pressing his luck, and he's like, "I mean, you know, uh, like stop, lot, you know, stop right there. That like is a, that's as gracious as you're going to get. Like a lot of metal dudes, you know, a lot <laughs> well, of guys. Let me, let me amplify that statement. Like a lot of guys your age, you know, they play. They tried to like you know make a like techno record or whatever. And James Hetfield looks at, looks at these three guys, these three just like you know young dudes, and he goes, "All right, can you imagine us? Can you imagine us playing?" Like to a click track with Lars, and then he goes duh, <laughs> and does this air drumming like, like duh, dong 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 dong. Wait a minute, Hetfield did this. Hetfield did this, <laughs> and this friend of mine. I mean, they're all their chins just hit the floor because Lars is standing fifteen feet away. Oh my god! And Hetfield is like, can you imagine us trying to play to a click track with this ding dong? <laughs> duh, I'm Lars. Duh. <laughs> You're and, kidding. No, and this buddy of mine was like, it was basically the most badass thing I have ever seen. James Hetfield openly mocking Lars in front of everybody and and uh, 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 inconceivable inconceivable metal moment and here and here it happened. To, it happened uh, this I am one kiss away from this story. A man that I know very well was standing in that group and says that this happened. And my esteem for James Hetfield goes through the roof. Oh, uh, you know, he's... We've talked about this half a dozen times. He's the good one. Hetfield is the good he's one. He's the there, one. After that, some kind of monster thing, I could barely, I could barely stand to see any of their faces. That was a, that was a, that was a slog. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, so well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery to James Hetfield that Lars Ulrich is the worst drummer in rock. Well, now, first of all, you, you don't think he was just funning, like, for the kids? Mm, I don't know. Because you Lars, know, here's the Lars thing. Pretty hard. You know. Okay, we're definitely coming to that in 30 seconds. Here's <laughs> the thing. Something like that. James Hetfield has has been through a lot of meetings. I don't think that's the kind of thing you say once. Maybe not. Uh, no, no, no. Here's what I'm saying. I, I'm I, I'm saying that like talking to this dumbass. It's probably it's probably. I'm just guessing that was not the first time that that revelation occurred to him mm-hmm. in that particularly clownish format. You think he's playing to the cheap seats? I do not. I think I do not. I think I think he does not like the drumming <laughs> of his drummer, and they're in a business relationship <clears throat> that he's obligated to be in because it's probably pretty lucrative. It's like the way Gene Simmons talks about Paul Stanley. What's he say about Paul Stanley? Gene Simmons is incredibly dismissive of Paul Stanley uh, right to his he's face. He's such a small little man. He's a terrible person. He's a, he, he's a Gene bad Simmons person. is the Donald Trump of metal. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know, uh, we shouldn't get into that. Okay. We're just boring to talk about music probably. But, but, um, 
but so so Lars Ulrich, the idea being that you know he's he's got he's got moves and stuff, but he can't really keep a beat. Oh, he's the worst. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I'm not talking. I mean, I realize he's probably. He's, I don't. I don't know the guy. He'd probably be fun to have a beer with. But like, I don't think so. I think he would be terrible to have a beer with. Yeah. <laughs> he is on the. He is definitely in the super group of worst musicians ever. Really, like Lars Lars Ulrich on the drums. Anthony Kiedis on vocals. Oh, can you can you literally not get me started? You're saying okay. So if I understand what you're saying, though, John Roderick, you're not just saying like it's not. We're not talking about the shags. We're talking about people who've like had records, who've had at yeah. least a gold record, and have a reprehensible level of non-skill at what John, they are supposedly. John Denton's more on guitar. <laughs> Doesn't he have a black eye in that one video? <laughs> isn't there? Isn't there? It's the Doors guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the video for "Light My Fire" on Ed Sullivan—he's got a big shiner. Yeah, he walked into a door. Duh. What, what? That was good. Yeah. Okay. So, hmm. We. And we I mean, there there are a couple of guys in the Doors that make it into this band, <laughs> but but Densmore for his parts. I mean, John, I don't like the Doors. No, listening to listening to his guitar part soloed, I think, is just like listening to somebody throw a guitar down a flight of stairs. <laughs> he could even hit a cup of coffee. <laughs> I've never. I've. Uh, I like a couple door songs, but I've. You know, I've really. I've. I've studied it, John. I've put time into it, and I still don't get the doors. Yeah, I don't. I feel like I should. I feel stupid. Like you know, it's like my friends who who can't get into the Smiths or Synecdoche, New York. Uh, and like I understand, you know, they just can't get into it. But I have a lot of really smart friends for whom the doors. Is probably one of their top five favorite bands of all time, and I, I think it might be some kind of mass hysteria. I just don't understand it. I'm starting. My, my, I'm starting to. I feel myself starting to change, Merlin. Hmm. I'm starting to not understand culture anymore. Hmm. Culture, big C, big that's, K. That's, really, you're reaching for your gun. I just don't know anymore. <laughs> I saw a documentary the other night with that line in it. You, you know, I did. Watch, I've been watching. Well, I've been. Wa- I'm sorry, I'm derailing you, but I've been watching um, something about the Holocaust every night. Um, mm-hmm. And last night, I took a little side route and watched Frank Capra's "Why We Fight," uh-huh. which, which is pretty, pretty great propaganda. <laughs> but it's a great line. Whenever I hear the word culture, I reach for my gun. Yeah. Oh, right. Who who said that? It, might, it was a pretty early National Socialist quote. Yeah. Um, I know, anyway, I no. But let's get back to the important issue now, John. You're. you're I've been, no, I've been watching a lot of Holocaust stuff lately too, and it is. Well, really I told you about the thing. With, effect, I, mean. I told you about the films. <laughs> the films. They, the the actual They're literal hardcore. films they shot at the camps in 1945. Watch that for an hour. <sighs> and then you know what I did? You know, fuck you. I I sat down and watched that entire six part. Auschwitz thing on Netflix two oh, nights ago. Oh, the one ago. I told you about of the BBC one? Yeah. After our last phone call, you told me about this. I, I, I literally watched the entire thing from beginning yeah. to end. Doesn't that make you happy? Oh my God, it was so well done. It, yeah, it was, a great, it was a great show. And also, the message of it is like, no one invented the Holocaust. It was the product of, it was the product of a hundred people all trying to do their jobs a little bit better. Y- yes. Oh, yes. Oh, a hundred percent. And then, but, but, I guess one, well, two things occurred to me, and I, I'm really derailing you here. I apologize, but two okay. things that, that occurred to me. <laughs> Please continue. Two mm-hmm. things. Um, first of all, I guess I, I mean I knew that the camps started as concentration camps in the true sense of the word, not as death camps. Right. Um, or I guess they were kind of you know slave labor camps, but they were mostly places to put you know religious. Um, well, initially they uh, they were places to put Russian like captured. And it Russians sounds like they Poles. got it worse than just about anybody. Yeah, but nobody's counting the Russian dead in World War II because it's like 
20 million people. You right. can't even count that high. But I was, two things that struck me is, um, and I'm not a scholar here, but it struck me, first of all, in my head, I go, okay, Nazi death camps, 1940 – to 1945, like April of 1940, I'm imagining that there was gas and crematoria for like six solid years, and that was simply not the case. Yeah. It wasn't really kicking in until like 42, 43, and then they were already kind of shutting it down in 44. Yeah, yeah. They did yeah. all of that in like three years. Yeah, yeah. They were killing 15,000, 20,000 people a day <sighs> per camp. I mean, they once they got it, they were like, let's get this done. Well, and there's the guy, and then there was like the guy, you know, it's like the famous Toyota. <laughs> it was the guy from Ford that went to the Toyota plant. <laughs> and went, ah, I see what you're doing here. He and got said, to Treblinka. Run this guy. Run this guy. RCA beat Sony again. <laughs> oh, God, ping. Fucking pong. But the one guy goes to Treblinka, and he's like, wow, you guys got a, got a good thing going on here. Let's see what we can do uh, over here. Yeah, but, your door's all closed. But the second thing, you know what really grabbed me is – I don't know if this is the source of your anecdote, but on our Hitler and stuff um, visit, when you told the story about the, the French people and <clears throat> separating the, the mothers from their children yeah. and how it was the French that were doing it. Yeah. It's like when uh, – I think that was – I've watched – I've been so steeped in Nazis lately. I could be getting the, that wrong. I think that was from the Auschwitz one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I can recommend that to our listeners. If you're if you're looking for a lot, you know what? We should just have a an annotated bibliography of all the bring down <laughs> things you can listen, you could watch on your television. I have I have a Roku with 700 channels. Uh, I have an Apple TV uh, with about 70 purchased movies on it, and I spend all every, of them about the Holocaust. After my family goes to sleep, I sit in the dark and watch things about the Holocaust by myself. Yeah, well, that seems healthy. That oh, oh and Scientology. Good. I've been reading a lot about it's, Scientology lately. <laughs> You learn, you grow. You learn, you grow. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, I go, I go out in the world. Yeah. Here's the, here's the problem. I go out in the world. I live in Seattle. The biggest problem we have here is that sometimes there will be four people at a four way stop and no one will go first <laughs> and all four people will, will end up dying. That is that's what? like the big, that is the biggest problem. Of natural causes? Yeah, they'll all die of natural causes. They'll all asphyxiate on their on the fumes from their idling engines because no one can figure out. <laughs> they call it an NPR. They call it a driveway moment. You just <laughs> you pull that's over, the, you pull over, and you listen to story car, car. You cry a little bit, and you fucking die in your Volvo. Die in your Volvo. That's how. That's the worst thing that happens in Washington State. Yeah, a cop will pull up in the middle of the night. get the Rock and Roll County Administrator on that. There'll be four dead people in four <laughs> Volvos. And the thing is, when they die, they're, they're, they take their feet off their brakes. And the four Volvos all creep into the intersection at the same moment and make a swastika out of Volvo. <laughs> That's the worst thing that happens here. And, and yet, yes, right. and all the all the onlookers come by first. They're gonna they're thinking of giving CPR, but then they just hiss. Yeah, spoos. Uh, but I'm watching Holocaust documentaries and reading books about uh, the uh, uh, now, my thing now. I'm afraid I am afraid to tell you this, but my thing now is the war in Bosnia. Oh, that was bad. I'm, I'm reading all this stuff about Bosnia, Ugh. and 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 so I my I fill my head with this information, which is real, and then I go out into the world and I'm trying to interact with people. Uh, uh, who are mad at each other because uh, somebody said somebody you know tweeted about Steubenville, Ohio, but used the wrong hashtag, and I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking twenty 
uh, 20,000 people were gassed on this day in history in, in at Auschwitz. 20,000 people today, you know, like babies. Yeah, like, how about how about how about systemized rape in our adult life? Like that's uh, nineteen ninety. Yes, yeah. Oh no, I mean, Mul- like, but that's times. the thing about the systematic part. It's like nineteen ninety four, and that was happening. Nineteen ninety four was happening. Uh, that's our, this is our this is our uh, Treblinka. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not I mean to sound you know. Uh, no, people walking out of their houses and getting sniped by their next door neighbors because they are because they are Muslim Bosnians instead of. Orthodox Bosnians. And I don't know how to contextualize the one hum the one humanity and my present humanity except except in a way that casts the my present humanity, the one that I interact with every day in Seattle, in a terrifying light. Like I, I this was the problem I had when I walked across Europe. I I, I was perceiving everyone as a dormant mass killer and i look around my fellow citizens in seattle and i am i cannot take away the feeling that everyone here is just waiting to be a bureaucrat in some kind of like systematic death machine if they are just given if they are just given like 20 percent off on their next uber ride you know what i mean like all, yeah. it's just it just seems like it just seems like the stakes of everything and this is why this is why i'm i'm just turning against culture of all kinds yeah, that's why you, you you want to get back to that, the capital well, c culture because people people are talking people uh, because i wrote that punk rock article that uh that, that was based on uh, the uh, conversation that you and i had on our podcast i wrote an article for the seattle weekly mm-hmm. about punk rock and I took a strident tone. I took my typical declarative tone. You you inhabited where, the viewpoint. Where instead of saying, I do not like olives, <laughs> I said, olives suck. And if you like olives, you're an idiot. And to me, that is a, that is essentially the same as saying... Good I essays do, don't begin I, with, you guys. You guys, <laughs> I do not prefer olives, the end. No, good essays begin with, fuck you if you like olives. <laughs> So I took my normal. I took my normal. Montaigne. Montaigne began many of his best works that way. (laughs) Dear audience, fuck you. Uh, And this was so. This article within the first two days of it being published was the most read article in the history of the Seattle Weekly, and it had one hundred and fifty thousand unique views by like by seventy two hours. That's bananas. And a thousand. The the last time I heard, it had a thousand comments. And in growing. And I was, you know, I was, con- I was impressed, first of all, that about, about 90% of the responses that made their way to me, made, made it all the way through to me, were positive, generally positive. Like either, yes, I agree with you, or I disagree with you, but it is hilarious. Good job. They were sensible. Yeah. But this 10% of people who so strongly identified with punk as a concept how they so strongly identified themselves and their lives with this with this cultural little beanie cap that you know that they that they basically confirmed every ridiculous bias that i every exaggerated bias that i wrote in my article they confirmed it in spades with their death threats and their you know their like uh 
you suck because your dad had a job comments and you know and like you don't know anything about anything because fuck you you haven't been to my all ages venue in orlando and all this stuff and i'm just like as as my as my response to it i mean definitely one of the things i realized was maybe if i am seeking a a larger audience i should prepare people for for what i consider to be a fairly hilarious declarative style I should give them a little like advance notice, like, oh, by the way, I don't really give a fuck about your thing. <laughs> I just am an <laughs> asshole. But I feel like that. I feel like that that should be apparent just from the picture, just from the picture of me at the at the head of the article. You look at me and you're like, oh, this guy. Come on, <laughs> look at this asshole. But but also, I came out the other side feeling like culture, really. Really? Punk rock? Really? It's all it's all just this guy's Muslim, that guy's orthodox, and it all leads to one thing now in my head, which is that one day this this group of skinheads puts that group of skinheads up against the wall. I can't get I can't break this this dark feeling about humans and and all of their little all of their little Etsy cufflinks and all of their, all of the doilies on the backs of their couches and everybody's, you know, like the effort that they put into getting the earwax out and the nose hairs trimmed. It all just seems like shaving a pig. And I, 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 and so what it is doing is it's putting this distance between me and my books. Even I'm looking at my books and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. It's a bunch of self-justification, a lot of it. A lot of it is just, like, I, I think I could put, I think I could pull four books out of my shelves that I would take with me, you know? Like, carry to the next wave. And the rest of it is all just, um, it's just people writing poor me novels and people people trying to justify what their grandfathers did. Well, yeah, and a lot of it's variations on a theme um, around, I mean, I think of this especially on the internet um, with what, what you're describing here, which is that, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly no dearth of, of rants and different kinds of polemics, but um when those when your when one's polemic reaches people on the other side of a fence it just it usually does lead to just a shouting match regardless of how smart or stupid the polemic was but you know not so far off really etsy cufflinks i think i feel more and more pressure um not just on me but i mean i think I pressure on people in general more more pressure to serve the audience that you've decided to identify with and mm-hmm. so, and but you, but in, in you writing in an alternative weekly, taking that tone, uh, take, so, taking such a strong point of view on that tone, and and not coming at it from you know as an insider or not coming at it from you know who's what I more mean? inside than me? Who's more inside? Well, you should come to my all ages club in Orlando. I'm, I've been to that all ages club in Orlando, and you know what? I'm not paying four dollars for a Fanta. 
Well, a lot of the stuff that I read from people who I like a lot and are really smart and produce something like what you're talking about here do still – and I do this all the time. Anytime I have something with a strong point of view, I will have an element of you guys to it where I feel like I need to – okay, first of all, I just yeah. want to say – yeah, I can't do it. Thing number one. No, no, I'm just saying, though. Uh, thing number two, you guys, just seriously. And the thing yeah. is, it doesn't fucking matter. You can say all of those things all you want. A good editor would cut all of those out and cut straight to the lead, which is right. here. What here is what you have to say. And people can uh, agree or disagree with that. But, you know, there's a million... This is, this is what happened to Galileo. He was like... Uh, I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading Copernicus, and I agree with them. The the sun revolves around, or uh, the Earth revolves around the sun. I mix them up too. I, uh, the sun, Earth, whatever. I forget <laughs> it. I forget it sometimes. It seems like the sun revolves around the Earth. This was the problem. You know, he said. He said, "I agree with this guy." This was, you know, this is fifty years ago or whatever. But I agree with him. And he didn't say. I was saying that from Galileo's perspective. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> and and. Uh, <laughs> And, and he didn't say... He turned into Dick Kevin. You know, one time I was talking say, to Groucho so about... Galileo uh, and I... One time uh, Groucho and I were talking about heliocentrism, and he said, did you ever notice that Peter Rittle... He, uh, he didn't say, you guys, you guys... Yeah. And, I re- uh, guys, I know what I'm going to say sounds heretical and might upset the entire power structure of our heavily religion-based society... So they pushed him down, they pushed him down, and they made him... They, they, really, you know, they really held his head in the toilet... And flushed it a couple of times and said, yeah, what do you say now? What do you say now? I mean, this is no, this is no fun. People have been laughing at Galileo. I mean, not laughing, but people have tisked, tisked and shook their heads at Galileo for ever since. 500 years. I have been. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know enough to tisk. But, <clears throat> well, tisk, tisking because he like, uh, he, he, you know, he didn't stand his ground and get burned at the stake or whatever. But... Uh, I... But it sounds like there's a couple themes. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to tease out that you're teasing out here. One, one is this theme of uh, once you have thought a lot about uh, Zyklon B business relationships and the people who so blithely drop them into the little mesh tube, it, it's hard to take um, public zoning meetings that seriously. Well, it's not that. It's a, a public zoning meetings are maybe the thing to take most seriously. Oh, yeah, property rights. Yeah, but but. I, I was reading an interesting article the other day that and 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 the thing that the thing that dropped out of it the little the little quote that dropped out of it and it was one of these things where the writer had to he he knew he knew that what he was saying was going to be breezed over by most readers and so he had to say it three times in order to make sure that we got what he was saying but what he was saying was he was kind of paraphrasing Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he was saying, the point of democracy is just that we live democratically. If we are living democratically, that then democracy has fulfilled its purpose. The point of democracy is not to create a better society. It is not to make sure there are no poor. It is not to make sure that kids... Do not go hungry. The point of democracy is just that we are Democrat, that we are democratic. And there's not an end in mind. It's the process that has yeah, primacy. Exactly. And we, we constantly make, we constantly make the mistake of thinking on both sides of, you know, the American political spectrum that the point of democracy is to, 
is that we reach a consensus on all these topics or that the majority oh, everybody gets a vote on how we round this off sort of yeah the the majority is going to rule and therefore the majority has got to find the way to this uh to to the truth i guess and we spend all of our time yelling at each other when really democracy is succeeding and that is the that is it the end like democracy is the process works there is no other goal and but what a, what a different approach than most people would say well yeah and mm-hmm. and that then that's why you know that's why reading it i was like huh and 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 with that in mind it feels like all the disputes are recapitulations of the same disputes they are all if we know that on one end there is democracy and on the other end there are death camps and in between there are lots of things at stake but it's always been hard for me to get down at the level of standing out in front of the natural food co-op with a with a clipboard and stopping people to talk about the Clean Air Act. I mean, I, I've done it, I, but it's hard for me to. It's hard for me to be that invested in that level of like this next incremental step is really what I'm devoting myself to. But, but I'm having a really hard time living out at the living out at the fringe too. Neither. <sighs> Neither well, fringe place is very comfortable. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, the other, another thing is, um, I guess it's helpful to figure out what you, you know, how we, how we're going to define what democracy means. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is democracy in the same way as being like social media, in the sense that with social media, uh, each of us tends to think of it in one way or another as publishing. We publish something, we talk about it. Somebody publishes something, and we talk about it. But you know. I wonder how many people who are heavily involved in social media would would want to participate if all they could do is read what other people had to say. And in democracy, we seem most interested in democracy in the sense that we get to vote. Um, and I think for – my guess is that for most people, it's not as interesting that there's lots of other people voting too because then that breaks straight down into the partisan, blah 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 let's yell about this again on, on Twitter kind of stuff. And it's why I have so much aloha for things like the ACLU and for Judaism in general general because <laughs> the ACLU is not – doesn't really care what your point of view is. They just want to make sure you have a way to say it. Did I and, just see – did I just take a glimpse of the matrix there? You might have. It's gone. Have- it's gone now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but then I also have this – I could never do this, but I have an admiration for this culture in Judaism of just arguing all the time for the sake of argument. I mm. mean it's really part it's, – it's part of what you do if you're, if you're going to be in a scholarly tradition. Am I wrong? Like no. a lot of what you do is talking about what this means and what is right. And, and that's – it's not like you're ever going to end it and go, you know, you win, Shmuel. You know, this is – the whole point is to have this argument. That's what we do. And you don't have to think of it as an argument. I mean it's just – it's a conversation that goes on and on and on and evolves. And sometimes somebody may get a dinger in that makes it into the book. But by and large, that's just what the culture is. Well, and, I said this the other day in a tweet and it was – and I meant it sar- uh, sardonically, but now I'm now I'm – thinking about it differently based on what you're saying. Like I said, uh, 
you know, there are 7 billion people in the world and I can't wait until each one finds their voice. And I, I meant it in the sense that we cannot possibly, we cannot possibly sustain this. We cannot possibly sustain through 7 billion people, the amount of like narcissistic self-reflection that the, that the 20 million Americans who are on Twitter right now are indulging themselves in. But maybe what you're saying is like 7 billion people all arguing simultaneously will create some kind of ticker tape of, of consensus, knowledge. I guess it depends on, on signal. Yeah, maybe. I'm just, I can, I mean, I, I'm very cynical about this. I have to admit, and I, this is the fifth time probably I've said it on here, but it, it always, it always strikes me that, you know, that people are so much more interested in persuading other people to A, think that the, think the way that they do, even if it's a really fucked up, silly way of thinking, but then to B, think in a way that comports with how that would be advantageous to me. There's not that many people who spend all day going out there and trying to listen to other people to, to develop a better viewpoint. I don't. But, but the point is, in, in all of these cases, what I'm get, getting at poorly is that all the people who crow about how great all these things are are mostly just they're, – they're crowing a lot about themselves. The people who love democracy love their, their democracy. The people who love social media love their social media. The people who love freedom love their freedom. Um, the, the, it's just that there are these, these increasingly – Useless and slippery capital letter nouns that we fight over all the time, and I'm I'm not sure how far we get with it because you know it really is more about talking than listening, and that is never clearer than when we start yelling at each other about politics, as I've said ad nauseum, and it gets me back to this old idea of mine we've said again before, which is like, when's the last time you changed your mind because somebody yelled at you and called you a dumbass? I mean, there's so much of that going on. There's not that many people out there going, show me how I'm a dumbass because I want to get better at this. That's but, the but democracy I want. Ultimately, this is the thing about the Bosnian War that this is what is so dispiriting about it is that for however many years, 50 years, they all lived under Tito more or less peacefully side by side. And whatever their disputes were, whatever the arguments were, whatever the whatever the whatever they arrived at, whatever their process was, Ultimately, when there was nobody watching, they just killed each other because of what their religion was or, or what they perceived their ethnicities were, although they were all Slavs, as far as I could tell. Any, anybody, anybody that's not a Slav would have looked at them all and been like, I don't know, you all look like Slavs. You're blonde, you're dark-haired, you all have big noses. But the little minute differences in their Slavitudes uh, was enough and and they and they they killed each other not i mean just brutally just the worst kind of brutal like ethnic cleansing and so i mean you know not dissimilar from the tutsis and the hutus i mean same no, similar no, no, kind no. of thing i mean the the, the 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 in rwanda it was i think worse because it was being done with hatchets you just cut your arms off but 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 that said like if you are a parent and someone comes and takes your child out of your hand and, and then kills them in front of you, it's pretty bad no matter what weapon they use. Mm-hmm. But 
but so I so I listened to our national debate and I listened to the you know the the way that we're pushing the we're pushing the ball back and forth we're pushing we're pushing the debate we're making the case for all these different things and I just I am drawn back to the I'm drawn back to the the apparatus that is supporting it I'm I am I am I'm drawn to the the Capitol building in Washington D.C. and I pray to God that it that it's that it stands. You know, I'm drawn back to the to the process because I'm no longer interested so much in the conversation because without the process, the conversation just it devolves instantly. You know, mm-hmm. like like we we have pushed we have pushed the human rights ball pretty far in the last hundred years. But in 1994, in uh, in Bosnia, and in 1996 in Rwanda, when was it? I don't remember. 92? Yeah, something like that. I mean, the ball got pushed all the way back, all the way back to where it started, like in the blink of an eye. And it didn't matter that they were, that they were modern countries or that, you know, none of it mattered. And the, this 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 feeling that, I, because what what happened was I said somebody a friend of mine wrote me based on something I said on the podcast this quote the Martin Luther King quote where I said the uh, the arc of history is long but it bends toward justice and this friend of mine wrote me and he was like do you really believe that and you know and I said it kind of at the time sort of like hopeful slash aspirational. And also a little bit like, here's a cliche. But, you know, the arc of history is long. And, on the, on, and, and, and part of that length is that sometimes it, it goes all the way back to the start. I don't see that happening in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But I, but I also am not, you know, I am not a hundred percent clear as the father of a daughter. I'm not a hundred percent clear how to advise her as she grows up, mm-hmm. like what kind of world she lives in. I don't want to just be, you know, I don't want to say, don't get into a car with a bunch of strange boys who've been drinking and feel like I've done as much as I can do. Uh, but I'm at a loss. Well, how do you how do you know um, how do you know when it's going well with the process? I mean, and I, I know you you have to keep a certain remove from Daniel Day Lewis, but I'm thinking about that Lincoln movie, which I watched a couple times, and I thought was pretty great. And mm-hmm. just the whole idea of like how, and I don't again, I, I don't know how much of it is precisely factual, but the whole idea of like all the you know, everything you would ever hear about in terms of, you know, smoky back room stuff to, to get all the wheeling and dealing and bribing and this and the, that to get the uh, 13th Amendment um, across. You know, I mean, and that, that is in some sense the, the system working, right? I mean, it, that's how it's always been. There, I don't think there's ever been a day where everybody just showed up and was noble and agreed by mutual assent that everything will be great. That's part of the process, though, right? I mean, that's part of the, as they say, the sausage getting made. Right, and how do you how do you know in the in the middle of the bloodiest war in American history, where where you know where Sherman burned Atlanta, 
he was burning Atlanta at that at that at that very moment. I haven't right. seen the movie, but but uh, but he had to do. I mean, according at least according to this movie, he had to do some pretty pretty big for Honest Abe. He had to do some pretty big fibbing because uh, the 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 nut of it was that um, even the people who were sort of pro the amendment were saying, well, you know, if this war is going to end, and we think it might. Basically, they're making the South is making moves to to say, "Hey, look, let's talk about how we can wind this thing down." Uh-huh. This is this is two or three months before the end, and uh-huh. Lincoln's like going, "Oh, you know, we're 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 still going to make this happen." And so they go and kind of systematically, you know, person by person, it's a really good movie. Um, target who they can get to to vote for it because it's going to be such a close vote. Anyway, right. I'm just frustrating. Oh yeah, but all that aside, I'm just curious though. Uh, one, one way out of this incredibly depressing morass is um, <laughs> is is no, but like for example, I I, I think I think I understand. And I, and I think I'm with you about this idea that is it is it too facile to say like the, the rhetoric is useful if it's in the service of the process, but the process still has to has to work on some fundamental level. That big pointy building has to have stuff happening in it. Yeah, 20 years ago, I was I was very much like I was I was consumed with a fascination with um, with American style democracy. And how important it was, and how magical it was, and how unlike anything that had happened before in history it was. And over the years, my admiration for it, I think, got lost in the weeds of the way our culture has evolved and feeling time and time again that, like, oh, well, the system is not working very well and it's producing all these all these situations that are like that are uh, uh that are just ugly you know it's i feel like our nation is a bruised apple but i feel like the only way out of my of my alienation is to go back up to the place where even in spite of the last 20 years, American-style democracy is the most amazing technology. And, I, and, I, and I, I want to be a supporter of it. And almost it requires that... Because I've never believed in nonpartisanship. I've always, I've always thought it was just a thing that reporters lied about. You mean I, in terms of like fair and balanced? I'm going to walk this middle, this non-existent middle line. Yeah, I don't believe I don't believe such a thing is true, and yet I feel pulled now to a place where my allegiance is to is to um, is to a, our constitution and a constitutional democracy, and anything that serves it, I am I am a friend of, and anything that impedes it, I am a foe of. Um, because all of the, all of the pit fighting, all of the small beer, uh, I, you know, I leave to others, I guess, because uh, while, while I'm thinking of a way to, to shore up the, the edifice, uh, you know, to shore up the hall where Mm -hmm. it's all taking place. I don't know what I don't know. You know, right now I just was asked to be on the steering committee for the re-election of Seattle's mayor, and I'm thinking in these terms: like, 
getting getting back involved in democratic politics is i, <laughs> I can, I can thought, hear you i can hear you being of two very different minds about it i never thought i, I would. really want to get involved in this morass of democratic <laughs> politics that i really fucking believe in but oh my god <laughs> yeah well and i mean local politics are different in 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 the sense that i can put my hands on on the problems that the port of seattle and, is and having. you grew up with it to some extent right i mean yeah, with your dad and, right well and my uncle and everybody we, oh, that's yeah, all right, we talked right. about local you know the the sewers and the and the parks but i don't know that this these holocaust documentaries i cannot watch them and turn them off and then be free of the holocaust you know i can't mm-hmm. uh, and i can't imagine you do either but nope. I, and i can't imagine <laughs> otherwise i, I would have just watched one <laughs> yeah right right you keep watching you keep trying i keep trying looking for something out. i mean not, not to be melodramatic it's it's amazing dramatic viewing but also i i, I do keep looking for something that either makes uh, a, a ton more sense or a ton less sense because right. because when i find you know one or the other i don't know something feels maybe not explained but um but it i don't know i i on the it, one it, 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 may, it makes sense if Hitler is just a, a madman, but when you realize that... Yeah, one, one madman doesn't get that much accomplished. Yeah, when you realize that, that the innovation, the primary innovation at Auschwitz was that some lieutenant mm-hmm. realized that they were, that they had this, uh, that they were, uh, they were fumigating their uniforms to kill the lice with this Zyklon B stuff that was like a, that was like an insecticide. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, what if we put this in the room with some humans?" Like, oh, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a really dark fucking James Burke moment because it's around the same time. Again, this is something we talked about on the phone the other day, yeah. <laughs> an unreleased call. But uh, you know, it's too costly to have bullets. You got to dig all those pits, and then they, then they started running into problems with like, "Oh wow, we've gotten really good at the gassing, but now now we have to go build grills to augment." The crematoria, because now we yeah. can't get rid of the bodies fast enough, and it's it's just an engineering problem we deal with a little bit every week. Yeah, we just hire this guy, and the guy comes in, and he's like, "Well, I'm an engineer, uh, but I can, you know, I don't have anything personally against like all these mothers." Oh, those but those I, interviews! Oh my god, those in, just as you described those interviews with the guys who had worked there, like that one guy who just just yeah. like, no, I just I just hate the Jews. I don't yeah, feel I mean, bad Jews, about any of it. The, the Jews were really. Uh, they were really, you know, making it hard on us Germans to, to, uh, yeah, they, well, was, you know, again, let's go back to a million of these other kinds of, you know, us versus them things. Uh, you know, the, what the Jews screwed up my family, you know, right. s- starting before world war one, but then especially after, you know, we're going around and this, my words, not his, but you know, we're pushing around these wheelbarrows full of useless money and, uh, all these guys with the long beards are making bank right. off of it. You know, I, I, I the other thing just, oh God, we got this up the, the other thing um i mentioned to you from that um so i'm what, sorry this is our first episode back in, in a, a while. month in a month and i'm so and i'm just like so depressed yeah but that'll help yeah <laughs> that might you help think? people well you i think? it's gonna help you, you you're people, probably you're gonna be up all people, night watching hitler <laughs> people are gonna people are driving across rural kansas and they're like a new episode where's, of Water on the line i'm gonna put it in and i'm gonna listen to this where's my rubber girl so the thing that struck so what I what I watched the other night that I was telling you about on the Roku, <laughs> seven hundred channels, mm-hmm. I went straight to archive.org and watched 1945 government films. Uh, you you know this, but basically um, they're they're real low five. But basically they they um, the army 
um, went in and I guess the Russians liberated most of the camps. But basically they went in mm, when stuff was – there were still people there, some living. And uh, they went in with cameras and they just straight up fucking shot what was there. And they did not pull any punches. Uh, it's really interesting to watch because it starts with aff- affidavits, like a picture of the affidavit on screen. It's 1945. It's not real hi-fi. And one of them is the officer who is like in charge of the project. The other affidavit is a filmmaker who's you know been in film since 1920 and he's been in the army since da-da-da-da and he's going to certify that all oh, this is correct. And they just stump, jump straight into like eyes sunken, mouth open, corpses being carried out of mass graves. The descriptions go on and on. It's completely appalling. And yeah. I, I sat and watched it for a pretty long while and it was just – it's engrossing but it's awful. But like I told you, the, of all all that awfulness and see, we've all been party to seeing some of this awfulness in films and stuff before, you know, 60 years after. But um, but you know, I, t- I told you this, the one that really struck me. Um, so, you know, Mac- um, not MacArthur. Um, Eisenhower, is it some of these things? Patton, is it some of these things? Um, one of the other uh, big guys – uh, I forget who were there. And, you know, they're walking through. And in, and in so many of these cases, what they would go <laughs> – and this is what the victor gets to do. They go into the village nearby, you know, Auschwitz or Treblinka or, or you know, Bergen-Belsen or whatever. And you go in and you – um they would pull out the local burgers, maybe the mayor. You bring in the citizens, ladies in fancy hats who've been eating fine for pretty much for four years. And they walk them through the fucking camp. They walk them past the open graves. They walk them, they make them go in and show them, you know, all of these deliberate, uh, killing devices. There's just one scene though, that is indelibly stuck in my mind, which is that they describe this one, uh, it's like a little shack, right? It's, it's a pretty small little house. And, and it's just, it's just a pile of bodies. I mean, it's a pile of bodies like eight feet high. Just you can't tell what limb belongs to what trunk. And it's just a big pile of bodies with like that corpse is a lady because she's got long hair. And it's apparently the stench in this thing was so overwhelming. I mean, you can't even imagine what a, what a big pile of bodies would be like. And they take the people from the village and the guys in, in like fedoras and, and, you know, bespoke suits and they walk them in. And the officers stand there and watch them walk in and like – and you can see them pointing and going, you're going to go in there and you're going to look at this and you're going to stand in this room for a few minutes. And then after a few minutes, they start filing out. Nobody's crying. Some people are holding handkerchiefs over their nose because it's obviously intolerable. And the next scene is them shaking their heads. They're not crying. They are – as they say in Scientology, they are pie-faced. They don't have any expression on their face and it's just the equivalent of like, well – so I, I don't. I don't know about this. I don't know what was. This is, yeah. This is a thing. I. I we didn't know about this. I can't help you. And right. that's. I mean, maybe it was just that that contrast of all this horribleness and me sitting here at you know at one in the morning watching this and just thinking what the fuck has happened in in the last century, but just the fact that that's this is that's what eats at me. And I, it sounds like it's some part of what eats at you is the people who could walk out of there. And as you said, the you know the monster inside all of us. Like those guys had kids that they loved. Those guys had grandkids. Those people went to church and stuff, and they could walk out of there and just shake their head in a fedora. Like, well, yeah, that smelled really bad. Well, and this is the—I mean, part of the problem of the 20th century is that we have demonized the German people in a certain way. The Ger- the Germans live in all of our minds in this in this strange bubble because <laughs> on the one hand right. post war Germany like 
is an, is both an economic miracle and also West Germans were our allies and our pals. The Beatles were playing there 15 years after that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so like in, in some ways we were able to convert our thinking on the Germans like uninterrupted from being our mortal enemies to then being the worst monsters in history to then being on the Reaper bond in 60, you know, 63. Wee! And, you know, like <laughs> West Germany. Wee! <laughs> and the reality is that the Germans are not monsters. No. And that somehow the lesson of the 20th century that we are all monsters did not get learned very well. They're deliberate monsters, and we did the things that we had to do to stop them, but they have a special place in history as a country for being the worst monsters. They did some terrible, terrible, monstrous things, but Stalin right. killed way, 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 way more but people. That's our, but that, that's kind of what you're getting at, though, right? That's our constellation. Our constellation is we have identified who the problem is here, and it's not us. It, it will never be us. Right. But it was not very long after that that we were dropping flaming canisters of liquid like jellied gasoline jellied gasoline on mm -hmm. villages of uh, uh, uh full of naked children and like we are we have all we are all crazy and yet we are convinced that we're sane and we're so merry about it we're so quick to dismiss all of these instances as as unique or aberrational instances of terror of of, of terrible people doing terrible things over here in this corner. Just so, so and, confident in our smugness. And somehow we get up I, I I get on the freeway every day and I'm just driving down the street and it's like, all right, this freeway is full of people and every one of them is a crazy animal. And I yet I am confident that we will all stay in our lanes. <laughs> That the guy in front of me and the guy next to me and the guy behind me are going to stay in their fucking lanes. And I feel safe. And, you know, and, it, and through that same stay, that same like painted lines on the, on the pavement, we are capable of, of mass murder through the same process. Follow the yellow line, follow the yellow line. It's going to take a right and then it's going to go down some stairs. Follow the yellow line. Oh, God. We're going to just gonna take a shower. Uh. You know, and so, so, but those yellow lines are what are, are what are, uh, they guarantee me, guarantee to me that the guy driving a, uh, a, an 18 wheeler next to me isn't just going to decide, you know what? I'm just going to kill everybody. And, and if he doesn't, there will be consequences. We are, we are, we are protected by the law from the people who, who are, are foolish enough to not honor the yellow lines. Right. And so the kid, the kid in Connecticut goes crazy and shoots a bunch of people in a in an elementary school, and we all have like a like a two day national reckoning about it, and it becomes a conversation about guns. And yet, I look around and I'm just like, uh, you know, my neighbors are just they are we we have not we have not really moved the ball on asking ourselves who we are why be good why if, if we are not motivated by a fear of god and a fear of hell why else be good and i do not have a uh i do not have a satisfactory answer i, I cannot keep waking up and saying 
because of some complicated Darwinian uh, family group survival model. Uh, that is why we are nice to our neighbors because it is a it's a mutual mutually beneficial like food gathering group. That is not that is not working. Mm-hmm. And and I don't feel like all the effort that we have put into as human beings trying to discern the good, trying to develop ethic an ethical system that is that hinges on on altruism or hinges on the idea that that it is not a Hobbesian world. Somehow we've abandoned that project or we're satisfied. We got as far as like Jefferson and we're, we're fine with it. Then we all, then Nietzsche kind of made it look a little bit too dark in that room. And we decided to like (laughs) leave it to the French. Like nobody is, nobody has a, has a good answer. Religion is going bonkers everywhere. Why be good? Mm. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk anymore about Lars Ulrich. <laughs> 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 oh, Such a buddy. downer. It no, sucks. That was a good one. <laughs>